This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. Well, good morning. I want to thank you for joining us in this gathering. Those of you on site here, and uh, those of you that are with us online, my name is Dee Dee Bacon, I'm a senior minister here, and it's uh, my honor, my privilege to be able to speak to you as we continue to work through our series, Don't Waste This Crisis. I have a confession to share with you. Um, it's regarding a struggle that I have. I confess that I am a warrior about money. I get really grumpy when uh, I feel like we're spending too much money. I get kind of crazy when I feel like we go beyond budget, when I see the money that I think we need to have in the bank account go below the line that I think we need to have it. And unfortunately, the person that receives most of the grumpiness is Shannon. I could say she's the reason why the money's going down, but she's not here, so I can. Um, this is recorded, isn't it? Okay. Whew. Now, speaking of Shannon, actually, Shannon is a great balance for me because Shannon really does wonderfully when it comes to money just to trust God to provide. When we were first married, we made a commitment to each other and to God. We said, we believe what your word says to be true, that children are a gift from God, and as parents who are following God, and we want to apply God's word to that aspect of our lives, when children come, we will do what we need to do to invest in rearing our children in the Lord. We will train them up in the way they should go so when they're old and older, they will not depart from it. And so the way we were going to do that, the way we were going to commit to do that was that when Shannon, uh, when, when there was a baby, Shannon would stop working and be able to be home to be present with our kids in order to raise her up in the, in the Lord. That was our commitment when we were young and first married. We didn't have much money. We were just out of college. We were just beginning to learn to live life. And nine months into our marriage, uh, we discovered that Shannon was pregnant with the first of our four kids. And all of a sudden, I was reminded of our commitment because Shannon said, remember, we said that when children come, I will stop working. The problem with that for me was this. I was working like three little jobs that brought in money, but Shannon was working the job that paid the bills, really. She was working in a job that actually made more money than my three little jobs that I was doing at the time. She was a nanny for a family in Terrace Park. And the thought with my worry with money, the thought of her having to quit when a baby came really began to stress me out. But Shannon reminded me of our commitment and reminded me that we need to trust in God because this is what we were going to do. And even though I was Mr. Man of God, Mr. Trained Up in Bible College to Live by Faith and all that fun stuff, I, I struggled with it. I balked at it. I stressed over that. But I came to a place where I decided to accept the, and, and say the words that would prove to be important for us to to continue on having a harmonious marriage for the next 28 plus years now, I said the words, yes, dear. 
No, actually I said, uh, Lord, I trust you. It brought to, to my mind at that time a statement that one of my college professors in Bible college had said to us in one of the classes. I remember him saying something to the effect that God will never ask you to do something that is wrong, but he may ask you to do something that's hard. In the book of James, we're told that God will never tempt anyone to sin, but we know for sure that he will test us. God will never ask you to do something wrong, but He will ask you to do something hard. He will ask you to do something hard. Which brought to light the truth of Scripture that says, if you choose to follow God according to His Word, according to being faithful to what you see written in Scripture, and applying that without compromise to your life, what you will eventually find sooner than later that you will come to a point of conflict where you will have to make a decision. Do I live out God's word and be obedient to what his calling is for my life? Or do I give in to the crisis, the tension, the confrontation that I'm facing and abandon? Following Jesus in this world will lead you to a place of crisis sooner or later where you will come at odds with the values, the systems, the thoughts of this world. And the question is, is how will you come through that crisis? Now, I'm thankful that in the book of Hebrews, the issue that they're addressing is really the issue of coming through crisis. If you're familiar with the story behind the, the book of Hebrews, it's written to uh, individuals, Christians, who were Hebrews, they were Jews, who were now facing a crisis, a very, very heavy crisis when it came to following Jesus. They were facing the reality that being a Jesus follower, being a Christian, meant that they put their, themselves, their families, uh, and those connected with them, put them at risk, risk of, of persecution, risk of losing jobs, risk of possibly losing their lives simply because they were Christians. And they were coming to the point where the crisis was too much for them, and they were being tempted to abandon their faith, return to Judaism in order to avoid the crisis of being faithful. If you follow Jesus, you will be challenged. Just like the Hebrews. You'll be challenged to forgive those who hurt you. You'll be challenged to ask to trust God by giving the money that you earn for the work of the church. You're going to be called to keep yourself sexually pure. You're going to be challenged to let go of your idols whether it be your cell phone addiction or your addiction to your car or your addiction to your entertainment choices. If you live by faith in Jesus, you're going to come into conflict with the world. That's where the Hebrews were, and that's where many of us are as we follow Jesus. And so Hebrews was written so as to be an encouragement for those of us in this situation, 
And in Hebrews chapter 11, a number of heroes of the faith are listed out. And one of those that are, that is listed is an individual that went from crisis after crisis after crisis, yet remained faithful to God. A man whose name is Noah. Some of you may be familiar of the story of Noah. If you aren't, I encourage you to read Genesis uh, chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9. That's his story. But basically the story goes that at the creation of the world, Adam and Eve sinned. They were, were kicked out of the garden. They began to populate the earth. By the time we get to Noah and his generation, we're told that things had gone so bad that mankind had become so wicked that God got to the place where he, it says, he regretted, he was sorry that he had made humanity, he had made human beings. Because the life lived in this world was described as, as, as corrupt and violent, and God came to the point where, like, I've had enough. I have to respond, and the appropriate response to the offenses that have been committed is judgment, and the judgment will be total and complete. God's plan would be to destroy the world by flood. Destroy the world except for Noah. Noah and his family, his wife, three sons, their wives, who were described as the only ones in this world that lived righteously, lived by faith. And Noah was selected to be saved, and the means by which his salvation would come would be in the building of a boat. We call the boat the ark, this massive boat by which God would send in the animals that would be saved from the flood to be there, and the ark would be built, and the flood would come. When Noah built that ark, the flood came, and God saved him from destruction. And throughout of it, point by point by point, you see that there was one crisis after another by which Noah believed God, obeyed, and lived by faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. I'm going to read that again and just kind of pause and give some insight a little bit here. By faith, Noah. By the way, Noah's name means rest. And it's interesting. I always like to do that once these hearers, I like to see what their name means because many times you'll get an insight as to what was going to go on in his life. But Noah's name means rest. It means rest, which in, in my mind connotates peace. It connotates safety. It connotates security when you come to a place of rest. But if you look at what happened to Noah and his obedience to God, it was anything but restful, right? Crisis after crisis after crisis, danger after danger after danger. Yet Noah is called rest because by the way he lived, we discover that through crisis, he does come to rest because God is faithful. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, that's a definition of faith. If you go jump to 11 verse 1, you say, he says, faith is the assurance and confidence of things not seen, promises made that will come, right? In reverence, or the word there, fear, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Reverence, fear, Noah revered God more than he feared the crisis. He says, 
in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world. You're like, well, what's all that about? Well, the point being here is Noah's faith is an example of one who lived by faith in contrast to the world that did not live by faith and subsequently suffered the consequences of not having faith in God, destruction. By which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Became the heir, became the one that we can look to, those of us who are living by faith as well in God, can look to as the example what it means to live by faith in God and be made right with God through that faith. And so here's the observation we begin with. Let's, let's just, just put it, lay it out exactly where it needs to be. Living by faith in God will put you at odds with the world. When Jesus was, was here and, and, and was in ministry and teaching, time and time again He made promises and He made uh, proclamations of blessing and He offered up salvation and life, but also He would be quick to point out the cost of what it meant to follow Him. And one of those times in Matthew chapter 10, this is what He said. He said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Whoa. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross, and this is the, the focal point of, of what, he, what he's saying, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life in this way, by faith, for my sake will find it. Now we know about the pain that comes from family strife, right? Every one of us, I can say, probably uh, pretty confidently guess that every one of us have endured family strife, arguments and nastiness, and some of us may be at different levels, but the bottom line is there's no pain like family pain that comes from strife within a household. Jesus taps into that experience to make the point when he says that if you want to follow me, if you choose to follow me living faithfully to my word and living by my will, you will come into moments in your life as you live in this world which is hostile to the ways of God. You will come in times where you will face conflict that is as, as deep and as serious as the family conflict you might experience when your family is in strife. And in fact, sometimes... You might endure exactly what he is describing, where you have members of your own immediate family who will turn against you because of your commitment to Jesus Christ. See, following Jesus by faith requires the kind of commitment that means putting everything you hold dear, your will, that's what he means by taking up your cross. Too many times we like to namby-pamby that. Is that a, is that a biblical word, namby-pamby? All right. We namby-pamby that by making it, well, that means we have to suffer and carry our burden. No, what he's saying is a lot more uh, direct than that. He's saying you have to be willing to put to death because that's what the cross is, an execution instrument. You have to be willing to put to death your will, your fear in order to follow me because he says if you will give up your life for me, you will find it. But if you want to keep your life the way it is right now, you will lose it. See, Jesus points to the same 
thing that the Hebrew writer points to regarding Noah. It's, it's a promise and a challenge. The promise is this. The promise is if you follow God, God will be faithful to carry you through chaos to life. That's what Jesus says. If you try to keep your life, you will lose it. But if you are ready to lose your life for me, you will gain it. Noah's story is of an individual who was faithful to God and God carried him through the chaos. I mean, think about this. The chaos that Noah faced. First of all, he faced the chaos of uh, living in a, an environment, a society that was absolutely against everything he stood for. Now, we think our culture is getting bad, but can you imagine really being the only one in your society that lived by faith in God? That's where Noah was. So every day, every interaction, every part of trying to live in this world was a time where he would be in conflict with the world. And God honors his faithfulness by saying, okay, I'm going to destroy the world. You think, well, that's great. Woohoo! But no, it's more crisis. I'm going to save the world. I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to save your family. But that means you're going to have to build a boat, not a little bass fishing boat that's easy to become, not something that miraculous appears. No, you're going to have to spend the time in being faithful by constructing a massive boat on dry land, dealing with all the consequences of that project, not only the, the, the enormity of the project itself, but also the environment of doing the project that was completely hostile to you. And people asking you, what are you doing? What is this thing? Then you have to figure out how to manage the coming of the animals. Can you imagine the stress with that? Animals that are scary, frightening. Some of you are thinking, well, I could do lions, but snakes, no way. Some of you are thinking, I could do snakes, but spiders? Aha, they can drown. bringing those animals in, all the logistics involved with that, and all the food necessary to feed them, then getting on the boat. The Bible says that it's God who closes the door. Maybe it's because Noah couldn't bring himself to do it because of fear. God closes the door, and then the heavens open, and the ground opens, and all of a sudden the world is inundated with a flood. I remember when we were in Houston a couple of years ago, and I talked to families about going through the flood. Number one thing they told me, it was terrifying. Spoke to a man whose two sons, they thought they would be okay. The man drove down to Galveston to, to get his mom, thinking that, that, that was, she would be vulnerable. Turns out mom was okay. Flooding happened in his very home. His two sons were forced for a week to climb up into the loft, into the attic, and stay up there for five, six days. Can you imagine the terror of that? Living off candy bars, and snacks. It's terrifying to go through a flood. Can you imagine going through it on a, a cataclysmic scale of a, of a worldwide flood where everything is destroyed, where the water rises to the point of engulfing the mountains? Talk about crisis. Then 
wondering what's going to happen next as the water subsides and the boat lands and you wonder what am I going to face. Believe it or not, while the world was, was wicked and while the world needed to be wiped out, it was still Noah's world. I wonder if he struggled with survivor's guilt. Everything that he knew, everything that he was familiar with, everything that, that, that was, 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 was comforting to him was gone, was wiped away. And to walk out onto that crisis. But Noah exemplified exactly what we've been saying with the promise. God brought him through chaos into promise. The promise of the rainbow, right? God put up a rainbow and said, Noah, I promise you, I will never destroy the world by flood ever again. The next time something of this magnitude happens, it's not going to be by flood. It will be by fire. Interesting note, those of you that like to study Scripture, you will know that many of the New Testament writers, many of the apostles, will actually point to the story of Noah as a picture of the meaning of baptism. Just as, as the boat went through the water to salvation, the boat went through, through uh, chaos into life, so we too who believe in Jesus and trust in Him go through chaos, the chaos of dying to self, go through the water to come to life. Noah lived out the truth that God will carry the faithful through chaos into life. So what's the chaos that you're facing now that you are following Jesus? And just take a moment to ask yourself, what is it that I fear the most in following God? What is it that I'm trying to avoid in dealing with in following God, trying to, to explain away, trying to, to sidestep, making excuses for? Is it your money habits? You know, every time a preacher talks about money, you, get, you pull out the gun that says, oh, you're always about my money, and you shoot it. And really, it's a defensive action because the truth is, is that you do not want to submit your money to God. Shannon and I had to trust in God for our financial needs. It was not easy. Shannon stopped working, and I didn't get the swanky nice job right away. No, I still had my three, four jobs that I had to scrape together. And I've got to tell you, there were, there, were, there were weeks where we lived on the very healthy menu of ramen noodles and baked potatoes. But God was faithful. And his promise came to life for us. God carries the faithful through chaos into life. Maybe it's your romantic relationships. I mean, the real reason you've jumped onto this current bandwagon to criticize the Bible's definition of marriage, definition of family, definition of love, the real reason you're jumping on that is really, ultimately, you don't believe God has your best interests at heart and that you believe you can find a better way to find the happiness you, 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 you seek. You don't want to endure the crisis of waiting and being obedient to God. Or well, maybe it's your addictions. You're addicted to your phone. How do you know that? What's the first thing you touch in the morning? Like it's some little precious? That if it's not on your person, you freak out? That if you're not checking it at least 
once every 10 minutes, you feel like something's missing in your life. I'm telling you, if we took out the word phone and put in the word drink or drug, you would see it's an addiction. Your addiction to your phone, your addiction to food, your addiction to alcohol, your addiction to drugs, your addiction to, to pornography. You keep going back to them over and over because ultimately you say, I want help, but you really don't want help because what you are afraid of is dealing with the crisis of surrendering your heart wounds to God and working through the process of being free of that idol. The promise is that God carries the faithful through the chaos into life, but that promise comes with a challenge, and the challenge is this. Will I trust God when it gets scary? The challenge is, will I trust God when it gets scary? Throughout the story of Noah, you see him trust God when it gets scary. When he's told, I'm going to destroy the world. When he's told, go and build a boat. When he's told, take on the animals. When he's told, uh, open the, the, the start, start a new life. Every challenge God brought before Noah for his faithfulness, he answered the question, will I trust God when it gets scary? I'm going to just make a comment here, and, and this is a comment to me as well as part of the church in America. Part of my problem, I think, of late has been that the church has bought into this idea of marketing. And what we do is we, we highlight the good stuff in order to attract people. And, and again, I'm not doubting intentions. We want people to, to have the life that Jesus promises. There is so much good stuff. It's called good news for goodness sake. It's the best news in the world. God, through Jesus, offers the opportunity of, uh, for us to be free from sin, to have the promise of overcoming death. God brings us into his family and calls his own and gives us uh, what we need in order to be part of the family business. It is great news to live for Jesus. It's the best decision I've made in my life. It has orientated me to a lifestyle that, that I would never turn back on because it's been the best way to live for me. There's a lot of good news, but the problem is, is that in marketing and speaking about the good news, sometimes we fail to talk about that there's a cost, there's a challenge with it, that following God means that you will come to conflict with the world that you will find yourself at odds, that living by faith is a danger-filled adventure, that being in the middle of the will of God is not really the safest place to be in the world when it comes to the challenges that you will face to being obedient. Faith requires courage, and the courage comes down to the question, will I trust God when it gets scarce? And I'm going to share with you an email I received this week that I think brings us to life. Email begins, Didi, about two months ago I read Hebrews. I had read it before. I told my wife, I'm rereading this book over and over, pounding it into my stubborn brain and soul. See, each time I finished reading it, and that's now six or seven times, I was disappointed. I was disappointed with what next reading of the Bible, that it didn't smack me in the face like Hebrews did it, and so I just would go back to rereading Hebrews. My wife and I share this frustration feeling that our two kids aren't where we want them to be. I'm rambling here a little bit, he says. We feel like we've become inadequate, watered-down believers. Hebrews, to me, simply says, do something. I began praying to God. My prayer life and Bible studies is weak, I confess it, but he was praying every day. Help me make a difference in someone's life, in anyone's life, in my children's life, in my granddaughter's life, in my tennis friend's life. Every night, same prayer. 
About two weeks ago, after about two weeks, he says, my wife bought me a flyer that had been made up by a little-known neighbor in our street. It had been tucked into our door handle. In fact, this neighbor was a neighbor that our daughter had babysat for them years ago. The flyer indicated that the husband of the person who had created the flyer was going to die if he didn't get a kidney. Right away, my wife asked, what do you think? I told her, God was telling me in answer to my prayers, and it was so good at that moment to feel the presence of God there, do something. Two weeks went by as I pondered dreading doing something. I discussed with my wife what it, that it was time for me to call and start the process of giving one of my kidneys. He says, when I was born, my mother lost one of her kidneys because of my birth, and so I have some experience of, of what it means to live with one kidney, indirectly, of course. Uh, mother died of renal kidney failure at the age of 92. He said, my wife said, are you sure about this? I said, I don't have any choice. It's what God wants me to do. He writes, I'm scheduled to go for blood analysis, which is the first step. Now, we'll go on in the email to say that uh, he's discovered that he's like number three on, a, on the list that, that they have, and he honestly prays that number one or number two will be the first taken. And I like that honesty. Why? Because it illustrates the point well. He's trusting God even when it's scary. Living by faith in Jesus is going to put you at odds with the world in your personal life, in your married life, in your parenting life, in your relationships life, your work life, your political life. And what we find in Noah's story is that in the midst of crisis, we find that Noah reminds us that God promises us that if we are faithful, we will be carried through chaos, not guaranteed to get around it, but we'll be carried through chaos into life. The question is, will I trust God when it gets scary? These times have brought into, into clarity for me, and I hope clarity for you, of the fact that living out biblical Christianity, living according to God's word by his will, is going to become increasingly challenging. To practice our faith as God has called us to practice it is going to be met with opposition and struggle and confrontation more and more and more at your workplace, at your schools, in your neighborhoods, in your conversations with friends, in the postings of your social media. And the question is this. The struggle is coming in order to live out faithfully to God. Will I trust God to carry me through the chaos? To me, the challenge for us as a church is we're not far into the year as I look forward into what we're, we're going to do. Our calling is to be a biblical community. Our calling is to live by the, the Bible and not to, to pick and choose. Oh, we like this. We like the love, but we don't necessarily like this because it, it, it's just not politically correct or it just doesn't go with what I want to do. And so we pick and choose and we live how we... No, no, no. We're going to be a biblical community that looks at God's Word and seeks to apply God's Word to life, recognizing that that course will put us 
in times in which we will find conflict with the world, we'll be at odds with the world, and we will have to make the decision, will I trust God when it gets scary? Will we be a church that trusts God when it gets scary by being faithful to his word and live by his will? Will you pray with me, please? Thank you for this time that we can share, dear Lord, and I thank you for your word, the encouragement of Hebrews. You know, many times we think the circumstances that we're living in are unique to us, and they are unique to us in that that's the first time we've gone through them. But I'm thankful for Hebrews because Hebrews was written to Christians who faced similar struggles. They were in crisis for being obedient to God, and yet uh, here we are, an encouragement uh, that you provide the story of Noah to remind us that you will carry us through, carry us through chaos into life. I pray for the courage and I pray for the faith. I pray for the wisdom to trust God when it gets scary, to trust God and not to compromise, and not to shy away, but to, to as Jesus said, be wise as, sir, wise as snakes and gentle as as doves in this world, to operate, as Paul says, with wisdom, making the most of the opportunity we give us because these days are evil. I pray that, Lord, you would guide us and help us, most of all, to just have the courage to make the stand that we need to make against the enemy that comes at us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I hope you uh, grabbed communion cup and bread. Um, this is an invitation for all of you who are Jesus followers. If you haven't, that's okay. Just uh, sit tight. We'll be going through this. But let me explain a little bit about what we're doing. Uh, this bread, is uh, we're really capturing what Jesus asked us to do. On the night he was betrayed, and it was a Thursday night, he was betrayed that, that night and then crucified Friday. He celebrated Passover, and in that he took a, a loaf of bread and he said, this bread is my body. And what he meant was is that this bread is representative of the body, his body, that was about to be crucified, killed, executed, a very painful death. And, and I've often wondered, here's Jesus picking up this bread, and, and he's talking about not just something theoretical, he's talking something personal. This is, this is representing his body, which is about to go through an immense torture to be killed a horrible death. Because that is what God has called him to do. It is. Talk about chaos. Talk about an example for us to follow. And then he takes the cup and he says, drink this cup because it's represented my blood. It's his blood that was shed for us. It's his blood. And what we see in Jesus is the path of faith, that faith will bring us to the times in which we have to make a decision. Am I going to trust God when it gets scary, when it means my body and my blood in being obedient to Him? So let's take the bread and remember and ask us, will I live by faith and trust God when it gets scary? Let's drink the juice together, remembering the blood of Jesus and the example He provides that, will I trust God when it gets scary? Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for your testimony of Scripture, and I pray that you would help us through this. You carried Jesus through the chaos of crucifixion, and you brought him to life through resurrection. He was the first. We now are invited to follow. 
I pray that those of us who have partaken of this will remember that and hold true to our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.